Yes, cool. Awesome. All right. Well, I trust you all had a beautiful Easter, as we did. Um, I just want to say, I don't know if Rachel's still in here. Rachel, Lynn, Leanne, thank you so much for sharing last week. Um, I caught up online yesterday afternoon, and I have to say, I was shedding a few tears. Because, you know, when your family have been through hurt, like I reckon we hurt, right? And um, I just think that sometimes, as family, the more you get to know and understand people, the more effectively you can love them, right? And um, I really believe that. And I really want to just say that you guys are so loved in this house and so appreciated. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing. Thank you. Um, so we um, had a bit of a road trip to Adelaide over the last few weeks, in case you were wondering where we were. Um, and we took the three children and the two dogs. And we had a fabulous time. Michael's sister Jess lives in Adelaide, so it really meant a lot to her that we travelled all that way. And she's very, um, she's a beautiful girl, very in control of her life and of everything, including her big brother. And so Michael had to submit and um, just do as she said throughout the trip. Um, but we said, Jess, you, you can do what you can plan whatever you like, but just please leave Sunday free. So we found um, a beautiful church in um, the little area of Paradise where we were staying, and um, the church was called Influences Church. And it was so beautiful, and as you walk through the doors, it says, Welcome Home. And that's what church is, right? It's home. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're family. And um, we felt that, we felt we walked in, and we felt we were at a home away from home. And... um, when we first walked through the doors, they had an Easter egg colouring competition. So my kids had their eyes on the prize, and so they were off a little station colouring in. And Michael went and bought some coffees. And I thought, well, there was just people buzzing everywhere. There's probably thousands of people in this church. And so I went and sat down, a good little Christian girl, and I just got my Bible out. I thought, well, you know, I'll just do my little devotion, because I'm not really that great, to be honest, in making small talk with new people. So I thought, I'll read my Bible and just see what happens. Anyway, there was a guy to my left and a lady to my right. And the guy to my left, he looked like the world had treated him rough, like really rough. And he had teardrops tattooed on his face. Now, I know that means certain things, but you know what? His soul looked like he had tears. And he was also reading his Bible, but he was looking sad and confused. I later found out he'd become a Christian in the last six months. Um, but he, I smiled at him and he leaned over to me and he said, is there any chance you know who wrote the book of Psalms? And I said, yeah, it was, it was David, King David. And um, at that point, someone approached him that he obviously knew from the church. And um, so I kind of got, you know, stopped from speaking any further. But I just knew that he needed a little bit more than that because he was looking very still, very confused. So as I got the opportunity, I leant back over and I said, hey, look, I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but, you know, King David, um, he was known in, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. Um, He was this amazing man of faith, and he had many victories, many beautiful things happened in his life through his relationship with God. I said, you can think about David like someone who has bipolar disorder. So he had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He was like a teenager with hormones raging, and he had... It was very, you know, Psalms is very poetic, but he really does, it depicts his high of highs and low of lows because David realizes that he is a sinner, his humanness comes out, and he is so repentant. And so Psalms depicts his journey of like like this, 
of just the ups and downs of his life as he just grieves over his sin. And, um, and so I said to him, you know, look, I can see on your board you've got heaps of connect groups here. Get yourself connected in a small group. For, you know, it's a safe place to ask all these questions. And then I started, I leant over to the lady on my right because he was then talking again. And um, to finish off that story, he leant over to me later and he said, thank you so much. That has just made, it just makes all this make sense. So that was just really lovely encounter. And then the lady to my right, she was an African lady. And you know how African women dress in like, you know, the, um, the, like it's like the material of a wedding dress and it's bright and it's shiny and it comes in every color under the sun. This lady was this big African lady. She had this bright purple um, sort of gown on and she was like, bless her, she looked the opposite of this guy. She just oozed joy. She was so gorgeous and she was so excited to talk with me and we got on to, she was asking where I was from and, went, you know, talking about the kids and she was talking about faith, and I was saying, you know, I was giving her a story about my little one, Meg, who's seven, and I was telling her about Meg's faith, because for all Meg's struggles, and she has some learning difficulties, and she has some behavioral issues that really came out over the holiday, but you know what? This child has the most incredible faith of all my kids. She loves Jesus so much. She prays at night with me that she'll meet Jesus. I said, not too soon. You're not going to heaven yet, but she just, she just wants to meet him, and one day, um, I told this lady, her name was Lil, and I said to Lil, you know, Meg said to me one day, she came home from school, and they had this mini fate, and I had no idea what was it, this mini fate, I just thought it was lolly stalls and games. Anyway, she, she was retelling this story, this little boy called James had come up to her in her class and said, hey Meg, do you want to go to fortune telling? And without the blink of an eye, Meg looks at this little boy, and she says to him, uh, no, no, I don't, I don't believe in fortune telling Jesus tells me my future. And I was just, I was like, oh my goodness. And I was telling this lady, Lil, and she was like, oh, 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 oh this child, she's so beautiful. You know, she was so, like, on fire. She was so excited. She's, this child, she's, she's going to talk and tell people the world about Jesus. And she was just like, you know, it was beautiful. But anyway, I guess that's just a bit of a long-winded introduction in saying that, you know, my encounters with those people in just those few minutes in that church was so beautiful. It left me feeling so full of joy. I felt, you know, like that as a family within the church, you know, our conversation should be that we build one another, that we encourage each other, that we provide joy in our days, yeah, that we just, you know, uh, as a family, that we just feel loved. And I was in there and I felt loved and I felt just, you know, joy from those people. So... I guess what I'm, what I'm introducing, though, is that in our relationships, whether it's church or outside of the church, you know, it's not always like that, is it? Um, you know, our encounters with people are supposed to be a positive thing. They're supposed to bring joy, build one another, build one another up. But in reality, not all relationships and all encounters with people are like that. Okay, so this morning, the title of my message is, How Do We Love Difficult People? Um, on Vision Sunday, Sarah and Josh introduced a new mission statement, a new vision for the church. And the vision was to grow, grow in relationship with Jesus and with each other. The mission was to love others. Jesus tells us in Luke 10 and 27, Love your God with all your soul, your strength and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So our church mission statement exactly reflects that scripture. So have a think about it, church, this morning. How are we going with that? How easy do you find it to love people in your world? 
You know, for me personally, I reckon there's nothing more difficult on the planet than getting on with people. I heard Joyce Meyer once say that 80 to 90% of all the problems, all your problems in life are related to people. People are difficult, they're complicated, they're different, they don't always agree with us, you know, they, um, they have different personalities to us. And so sometimes our experiences with people can just be very awkward and very difficult. Now, when I was growing up, my mum was a woman who always used very kind words. She was always very honoring of people, which was a beautiful trait in her. And so as I was growing up, as, if I experienced people who were mean or, you know, weren't very nice to us, my mum would describe it as they have a prickly personality. And I, I don't know, apparently Sarah said that Kirstie had used that term. I thought it was a very English term, prickly personality, but obviously you guys use it here too. Anyway, Rick Warren, um, he categorizes, I heard a message of his one time, and he categorizes difficult people into six areas. He says they are demanding, they are disapproving, destructive, discontented, demeaning, and deafening. And by deafening, I'm assuming he means just loud, arrogant, and just out there, you know, not, not necessarily in a loving way. So with all these things in mind, we need to figure out how to love people, even the prickly ones. Now, Pastor Mark recently talked about the early church and that in that community, there was only one church, one choice, one, way to, one place to go. And all the people had to get on together. And there were lots of different people in that congregation. So it wasn't easy. So in those days, let's take the Roman church. In the early days of the Roman church, there was massive inequality. The Roman Empire was made up of very many different kinds of people and in a very hierarchical system. So on one hand there was great poverty and then on the other, there, in the hands of a few, there was great wealth. The emperor of Rome was the pinnacle of the system and if you were poor, if you were an orphan or a widow, if you were a slave or an outcast, there was very little that that society offered you. You really were the lowest of the low. Now in Jesus' ministry, he turned this system completely upside down. Paul followed in his mission of spreading the gospel and he introduced a massive sociological change in the culture of that day. And this was especially obvious in a place like Rome because it had such diversity. And it was this change that began to teach us the way to love and to deal with different people. You know, the Bible says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. This community meant that everyone was equal, finally. No one had any disadvantage anymore. Even the lowliest slaves had personal dignity and status. Widows became precious possessions in the church. They were cared for, rescued, and loved upon by others. To make your way in the Roman world, you had to belong. And what the message of Christianity offered for the first time was a sense of community and belonging. To be part of the church was to belong to a society of close-knit friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. The early church was finally responding to a really deep um, deep need in humans to love and to belong. So, with that change, the way God taught us to love was to love one another by meditating on the fact that Jesus gave his life out of love. He demonstrated how we are to love. He came on high. He was equal to God and came down to this earth and became the low, lowest of the low. He took on the form of a slave and this was the model he gave us of love. So we can love because he first loved us. Now, I think that early church wouldn't in a moment have gone from a mentality of enslaving 
to a mentality of loving, even with the Holy Spirit. There were still choices they had to make. There were still habits they had to form. Disciplined time with the Father they had to encounter. So as Christians, we should be an example of what relationships should look like. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. So before we look at how we love others, there are two crucial things. Well, I think there are two crucial things we need to do in order to be able to love others if we want to succeed. First, we have to have an intimate relationship with God. Now, I know that's like what the answer to everything, but it really is very important because at the end of the day, he is your source of love. And if you do not operate out of the spirit, the last time I spoke, I talked about tapping into the spirit. If you don't operate out of the spirit, the devil will overpower your mind. He will isolate you. He will feed you lies, all kind of lies about other people. We have to be in alignment with God and his word. That's first and foremost. Secondly, and this is something that some people have a real problem and really find very difficult. It's to know and love yourself. Not in a prideful way, but in a way that you know who you are in God. So you've got to accept yourself in your relationship with God. You have to get rid of self-hatred, self-bitterness, even the little things that come in. Get rid of guilt, condemnation. If we can't truly love ourselves, then it's very difficult to love others. Out of a broken heart comes broken behavior. And hurt people hurt people. So before we deal with problems in others, we have to take care of ourselves. And the Bible talks about our human nature. The idea that someone with a large piece of wood sticking out of their eye criticizes someone who has a speck of dust in theirs. Matthew 7, 1 to 5 says this, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For, as you, will, for, sorry, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How, could the, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't pa- see past the log in your own? You hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So we can't ignore our problems loving, while lovingly and gracefully trying to help others with theirs. God will not bless our situations as we sit in a pool of sin. And I had a, I had a lot of struggle with thinking about what sin actually looked like when I was first a Christian because I knew that murdering someone was a sin and I knew that being really mean to someone was a sin but I didn't know that not loving myself was a sin because I didn't trust God. I didn't know that, you know, complaining was a sin and those are the little things. You might not think, oh, well, you know, I do like myself, you know, I have my struggles but actually we have to really know who we are. We have to really love who we are and who Christ has made us into. When we think of um, difficult people, and let's face it, we've all been at the raw end of someone's prickly personality. When people are rude to us, I want you to remember this. Maybe stick it on your fridge or, because sometimes, I think we all know this in theory, but we don't always put it into practice. When people are rude to us, they are revealing what's in them, not what's in you. So we need to remember that. We may think that we, um, you know, that we know that, but think about your recent interactions and think about, have you recently been offended by someone? Have you reacted to badly when someone's really bothered you? Have you gossiped about someone who's treated you badly or being rude or mean to you? 
Remember, it's ways in them, not ways in you. So you can take the offense caused by their broken heart and you can allow it to make you bitter or you can forgive. You know, when your heart is clean, you can begin to love others effectively because you'll know yourself, your position in Christ and your place in this world. When you are confident in who you are, you can operate in love and not out of pride. And that's what we do. That's what we do when other people hurt us. If we don't love ourselves, if we don't know who we are in God, it's our pride that responds, not our love. So let's look at some ways that we can effectively love others. Firstly, have we tried to understand people? Mark, Pastor Mark mentioned in his message a few weeks ago, we can't stand those we don't understand, which I really liked. I really like that little expression. So let me give you a few examples of our need for understanding. You're sitting in your office one day, and a new colleague um, in the office, for no apparent reason, is rude to you. Maybe you think, well, they're just the, that prickly kind of person, you know? But what if you knew their marriage was breaking down? What if they had a son who had leukemia? What would that informate, with that information, would that, make, would that allow you to cut them some slack? Would that allow you to give them grace? You know, when we know something about someone, when we have wisdom about a situation, we can cut people slack and we can give them grace. And knowing God is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs 1 and 7, it says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then in Proverbs 2 and 6, it says, for the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And I believe that when we're tapping into our spirit, when we know God so well, when we know his word, I believe that when we have difficult encounters with people, I believe it's the love that comes out of us, that he gives to us, that we can respond with. So understanding people is important. If someone leaves you feeling horrible in any kind of way, assume they're just going through some crap. You know, try to understand their situation. Sometimes we need to have a deeper understanding of people's culture. Sometimes people have suffered abuse that you just can't relate to. And sometimes you just simply have a difference of opinion. You know, within one church community, how many people can have such polar opposite um, opinions on certain topics? Let's, we've talked recently about the political situations going on. We have people in the same church with the same faith, with knowing the same God, some sitting here and some sitting here. I think Mark talked about culture wars and stuff which also applies. People's opinions on how to raise a child, how I raise my child, is not going to be the same as how you raise your children or you raise your children. Different views about education, how you spend or give generously your money, how I spend my money is certainly not how some people spend their money. Um, and health and well-being, you know, how many people see that very differently? What, what, it, what does health look like? So unless the Bible is very clear on what is not allowed, there are many views and opinions that we must consider. So let's take a, a hot topic at the moment. Let's take open and closed borders. Now, I'm not going to give you an, my opinion. I just simply want you to think about your views and how you make communicate your views with others. Where do we form our opinions on on a topic like this? Do we read and do we listen to biased media sources? Do we listen to scaremongering? Do we listen to negative people with agendas? Do we listen to people with hot-headed opinions? Or do we diligently seek unbiased and accurate information, including studies that reveal the truth about the statistics that are actually involved? Do these studies show the advantages and the disadvantages of open borders? 
And have we asked God to reveal the truth deeply in our hearts? You know, I read an interesting article recently that involved numerous studies and showed that opening up our borders, even just a fraction, I think it was by 3%, is, would be the most powerful weapon we have in the fight against global poverty. And that scaremongering about jobs and security just isn't true in the real statistics. Yet other articles show the cons and the real effects of people's lives visibly seeing the, the effect of mixed culture, losing identity, problems with crime, fear of terrorism. Have you asked God to open your heart and your mind? Do you share your opinions on social media? If you do, do you share this message based on a heart of love? You know, in, um, in the church that Swell and I used to belong to, we, had, we, we did a lot of um, camps with teenagers. And one of the things we used to do, because teenagers, as I said before, have like all these you know, raging hormones, they have strong opinions, they have highs and lows. And we would, one, of the, one day we got the kids, we had this debating time, and we got the kids into males and females. And we said to the girls, we said, we want you to ba debate that men are the stronger sex. And boys, we want you to debate that women are the stronger sex. And it just, and I, it just allowed them, with their you know, hot-headed opinions, to actually see things from the other side. So church, I challenge you this morning, if you have a really strong opinion, I challenge you to fight on the other side. Fight on the other side of your argument and just give yourself perspective. And just think about how you communicate your perspective with others. So I'm not telling you my perspective either way. I don't, you know, I don't use social media, so you don't hear my opinions. And I don't, know, I don't use social media, so I don't hear your opinions either. So I have no idea what people think on this topic. I'm just simply saying that whatever we think, just make sure you understand both sides of the argument before you. Because I just think, as a church, the world is watching us. And the way in which they watch us is by how we love one another. So in Colossians 4 and 6, it says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So if someone has a conversation and they have an opinion, you be ready, seasoned with salt, full of grace, knowing how to answer that person. When you talk with someone, I believe, about any topic, your goal shouldn't be to change their mind, just simply to better understand them and for them to better understand you. You know, God has the power to change hearts and minds. We shouldn't judge others' opinions. Only try and understand them whilst communicating ours in love. A speech full of grace and seasoned with salt. Just, um, just another little thought. We don't have to agree on everything to be kind to one another. We don't always have to agree, agree with one another, another to like, respect, and love them. You know, when God looks at us, he separates the evil or the sin from the person. He loves the person. How else could he love us? We're all full of sin. And that's similar to what we have to do when people differ in opinions. We have to separate the opinion from the person. We have to love them. And I reckon the more you understand them, the more you can love them. The second thing in a way to love others, first is understanding. Second is that we should never take offense. Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
We must remember a mean person operates from the inner conflict, not by responding with a rational response to the people around them. So we need to deal with any inner conflict in ourselves in order to avoid offence. A person who operates in love and operates out of the spirit finds it easy to respond with peace. Proverbs 10 and 12 says, Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offences. You know, when love dominates in our lives, becoming offended through hurt feelings or having a strong temptation to sin is way more unlikely. But when pride dominates, hurt feelings, temptations to sin, they seem to lie between, sorry, behind every corner. We are accountable to God for our own actions. We can't control what others say and they do to us, but we can control how we respond and we can respond in love or we can respond with pride. Proverbs 12 and 16 says, A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. So offences are basically unresolved bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, and in our relationships that grieves the Holy Spirit. You know, when the Holy Spirit is grieved, the flow of his power, his counsel, and his comfort is restricted, and the enemy is given an opportunity to accuse, torment, imprison, and ultimately defeat us. A grieved Holy Spirit blocks our ability to give or receive mercy because our relationship with him is compromised. And then, in turn, the church is prevented from showing God's love to our community. So what do we do, guys, if we recognize this happening? We repent. It's simple. We simply repent of our offenses to God. And we make things right before others. And then we can live in a power of an ungrieved spirit, Holy Spirit. So to do this, we need to forgive others who have hurt us or offended us. It will release them from your heart, prevent you from feeling guilt or unresolved bitterness, and it will restore a clear conscience. You know, forgiveness is not accepting, sorry, it's not, yeah, accepting or condoning the sin. It's not saying it made no difference in my life, and it's not certainly not allowing it to be repeated. It's a choice, it's a decision that you make to no longer hold an offense against that person or a group of people. Now, there are some really essential principles that we need to understand when looking at how to deal with difficult people who have abused us or hurt us or cause any level of physical or emotional harm. You know, it can be confusing, right? Because the Bible says, honor your father and mother. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. But what if they're the ones that have hurt us? What if they're the ones that have, that have emotionally and physically hurt us? And the Bible doesn't just say, just love others as you can, or, you know, just do your best. It commands us to love. So how do we do that with people who have really deeply hurt us? I'm reading a book at the moment by Dr. Henry Wright. Um, he's, um, uh, the more excellent way. It's given to me by Beth Garkett, and I'm just devouring this book. It's amazing. Anyway, this, this Dr. Henry Wright, he says, we should only honor those who we should only honor those who've hurt us to the degree, degree they honor God. If someone is evil before God, we don't honor them in that evil. He later goes on to say, we cannot afford to preach a gospel that preaches a codependency with evil. Codependency here is calling evil good in the name of love. In Psalm 97 and 10, it says, those that love the Lord hate evil. So what do we do? We hate the evil, but we love the person. You know, God looks down from heaven and he separates the evil from the good in us. He separate, He takes away the evil from our hearts and he loves us. 
He calls us into a place of peace. You know, how can we be at a place of peace if you've had some kind of guilt relationship, confused about honoring people who have hurt you? So please understand, when the Bible commands us to honor and love others, it tells us to do this without remaining a prisoner or in an abusive or dysfunctional relationship. Protect yourself in your relationships. Guard your heart, but forgive others and release them from being stuck in your heart forever. It's not easy to love others. And it's important to remember that human love fails and it runs out. It's only God's love that lasts. So tap into your spirit, guys, and let God guide your way. In 1 Corinthians 14 and 1, in the message version, it says, Go after life like your life, sorry, go after love like your life depends on it, because it does. You know, it's not a nicety to love others. Our lives actually depend on it. You know, God commands it not because he wants to be harsh with us, not because he wants to bash us into submission or tell us to do as we're told. It's because he's a loving father and he knows what's best for us. In John 13 and 34, it says, A new command I have given you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And in Galatians 5 and 6, it says, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, all that matters is your faith that makes you love others. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul describes Christ and the love that he produces inside of us when he dwells in us. In the Kingdom Dynamics, I've got this new study Bible, which is awesome. And in the Kingdom Kingdom Dynamics section, it says, The miracle of Christ's indwelling power is that the love he revealed is exactly the love he will communicate to others through us. When this quality of love is the basis of relationship, the miracle of unity is possible. So I want to leave you reflecting on five radical statements about love in the beginning of 1 Corinthians. These scriptures are amazing. They're poetic, they're incredible, and yet they remind us of how important love is and that your life really does depend on it. So as you will see, nothing else that we do, nothing else that we say is of any value without our capacity to love one another. So number one, if I don't live a life of love, Nothing I say will matter. 1 Corinthians 13 and 1. If I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth, but I didn't have love, I would only be making a meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. Have you guys ever, those that have children, have you ever had the children around you at dinner time and you're cooking dinner, you're on the phone, you're thinking I've got to run out the door in five minutes and get you to gym and you to tennis and you know the kids are just all like mom, mom, mom and you kind of like you're doing all these things and they're just making noise and they might want something but you're not really hearing them because they're kind of like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal, you know. Imagine going through your entire life and the Bible says <laughs> it was all for nothing. Everything you said Nothing you say matters because you didn't have love. Number two, if I didn't lead a life of love, nothing I know will matter. 1 Corinthians 13 and 2, I may have the gift of prophecy. I may understand all the secret things of God and have all knowledge. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. Imagine knowing God so well that you know every secret about him, that you're able to prophesy over others. Imagine if you could ace Einstein in an IQ test, but yet, if you lack love, it's all for nothing. Number three, if I don't lead a life of love, nothing I believe will matter. 
1 Corinthians 13, 2b. Even if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. Imagine that level of faith. You know, in the Bible, God parted the waters. He made the sun stand still. He calmed a storm. And it's that power that's in him which is in us. So imagine having the kind of faith that you could speak to a mountain and it would physically move, yet through pride or arrogance, it meant nothing because it cost your ability, your capacity to love others. Number four, if I don't lead a life of love, nothing I give will matter. If I gave everything I had to, sorry, this is 1 Corinthians 13 and 3. I think they're probably coming up. Thanks, Dean. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, if I didn't have love, I would be of no value whatsoever. You know, when we give something, we can feel the squeeze, right? When we give large amounts of time or money, it's a big sacrifice. But imagine giving everything you'd worked so hard for to the poor, but it meaning nothing because you didn't have love. If I, number five, if I didn't lead a life of love, nothing I accomplish will matter. 1 Corinthians 13, 3b. No matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Imagine if you were the CEO of a large company and millions of dollars, yet without love, none of your achievements in your life will matter. This passage, I believe, tells us that relationships are far more than accomplishments. And this, I, I love this one, it speaks to me because I'm such a person, I'm very driven and you know, in my day I get a lot of purpose out of what I've achieved. But it says if you're not loving others, it's for nothing. Now, I heard this story in the media, um, Swelly showed me a few months ago, and it was, um, it was a guy who was a fashion icon. He, uh, he was worth about $300 million, something like that. And do you guys know this story? Do you know where the proportion, a, a very large proportion of that wealth went to? To his cat. Yeah, it was the inheritance. So don't you think that that man, he may have been wealthy in here, but he was bankrupt in here. Because you know what? If that man had loved others, don't you think? I mean, look, I love my animals, don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing animals. But don't you think if he had been full of love, that money would have gone to people he loved? It would have gone to people in need if he didn't have people in his life. I just think that poor man, I feel so sorry that he was so bankrupt because he, he lacked love. Church, will we, be, will we be committed this morning to love one another as if our lives depend on it and if the lives of others depend on it? John 13 and 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I believe the world watches us and it really is primarily in how we do this well. Love should be the essence of who we are and what we do. So how do we love difficult people? Well, we turn to God, who is the essence of love, the giver of love, and the sustainer of love in us. Quick recap. We must get right with him first, know who we are, get rid of all self-hatred, self-bitterness, then make an effort to understand people, their differences of personality, their opinions. We must not take offense, and we must learn how to forgive. And we must learn to love others like our lives depend on it. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, after these verses, it goes on and describes exactly what love looks like. And Mark mentioned this in his sermon. Um, 
you can use some of those things as a yardstick to see how, you know, measure to see how you're going. You know, I want to emphasize this one final point. None of us are perfect. And as I said before, human love runs out. God doesn't want us feeling condemned if we haven't yet reached this standard. But he wants us striving towards, that, towards it. You know, if we've fallen short, we simply repent. The power of forgiveness immediately fills our hearts. We become right with God. We are sanctified. We are holy. So today, go out and think about your relationships with God and with each other and make a plan to love like you have never loved before. So good. Thank you, Kath. We might get the band up and I think we might finish with singing a praise song, if that's all right, team. How good was that and thought-provoking? On what Kath was saying about understanding others, I spoke about what Catherine Ferguson shared at colour conference when she spoke about empathy and she said you don't have to agree with someone but if you can just understand where they're coming from it helps you to love them and so I think it's great thoughts from Kath there just to understand other people's worldview so that maybe there's not so much division amongst us and I um Kath and I were um, laughing earlier because that idea isn't that a crazy idea to have a debate where you will prepare a case for the view opposite to what you believe in and then we joked and said we should then have a debate in church but no we would never do that <laughs> But um, I think that's just a good thing to challenge your mind with because we can get set in our ways to think, okay, well, how does maybe someone who disagrees with me think and what would be their beliefs? And it just helps us to love people, exactly what Kath is saying. Great thought-provoking things there. And Josh shared about this recently when he spoke about, was he Jewish? What's his name? The man, the peace thing. Shane Willard. Um, He spoke about how often was drawn into arguments but when he was having this conversation with um, another man, a Jewish man and ultimately the crux of the conversation was peace be the main thing. Peace be the main thing between us. He thought they disagreed on something and he said let peace be the main thing. Our differences can just let lie. The world needs to see us at peace with one another. Psalm 46 that I read out earlier, finish with God is actually above politics. How often are we not above politics? We get drawn into petty arguments. So may we tap into the heart of God with that. May peace be the main thing. May we know how to love one another in spite of difference. And um, last thing on forgiveness. Uh, That was so good what Kath was saying about forgiveness. And I heard Chelsea Smith, Judah Smith's wife, talk about this. It says in the Bible that we're to forgive each other, not seven times, or forgive someone's sins against us, but 77 times. And she referenced, like, Kath, that doesn't mean that you stay in an abusive relationship and keep forgiving someone. You need to set boundaries there, obviously, and and get out of that relationship. And I've heard someone else say that the only person who gets upset when you set relational boundaries is those who are benefiting from you having none. So I think, you know, sometimes it upsets people when you set boundaries, but you need to do that for your own health. And Chelsea Smith said... That's not what it means, that you need to keep forgiving someone who's abusing you or abusing relationship, but it just means that forgiveness is often a continual thing. For example, for a child whose parents have divorced, that's a painful thing and there might be resentment there towards parents, that's hard. Maybe you work through that and she shared this example, but then you come to your wedding and then it brings out all the family division again and again you have to forgive your parents and say, look, God help me to forgive here. So often in life there's examples where we need to continually forgive and may we be able to do that and not hold on to offense and resentment as Kath said let's stand and I'm just going to pray for us we're going to finish with praise but I think um there was so much in that thank you Kath so God we thank you for the challenge to love 
one another in a greater way as Kath brought this morning. I pray that you help us to understand one another in a greater way that we might be able to love one another. Help us to broaden our horizons, to enlarge our thinking, to enlarge our perspective. I know that Christians have a killer reputation for being narrow-minded, God, and we don't want to be narrow-minded. We want to be kingdom-minded, kingdom-hearted, enlarge our thinking. I'm sorry, God, for when we've become narrow, for when we've made it about ourselves, when we've made it about our arguments, about our own ideals. Help us to love others in a way that sacrifices our own agendas and our own preferences. God, I thank you that you're above politics, you're above division. May peace be the main thing between us. And for those of us who might need to forgive, maybe we've been holding on to hurt or resentment, God, I just thank you that you help us to find the strength and the courage to forgive continually to let go, that we may be free, that we may release others, maybe who we've been holding on to and holding grudges against. And I just thank you, God. You're the ultimate example of just extravagant forgiveness, extravagant love. May we tap into your heart in a greater way. And um, we're just going to finish by singing praises to you, God. And I thank you as we do, may even just lift some of that heaviness where there's been grudges or burdens or even narrow thinking, God. Even as we praise you, may our worlds enlarge. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, team.